When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The, the, the games are over, but the game never stops. Never stops. This is College Football Overtime with Garrett Chapman and Abe Gordon. Ole Miss and Texas A&M. This was a very interesting game, you know. Uh, we had big blocked punts. We had blocked field goals effectively the last last play of the game. I mean, like the, the last effort that Texas A&M had in this one was the blocked field goal from Ole Miss. And and I remember mentioning to you, I said that Quinchon Judkins was going to be the reason they won this football game. Uh, he was my prediction in my, my one-week wonder, or one of my predictions for the one-week wonder at one point. He finished this game with 102 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Jackson Dart was a steady hand, 387 yards passing, two touchdowns, almost all of that going to Trey Harris, 213 yards for the junior wide receiver there. He also scored that touchdown. Uh, this Ole Miss offense is cooking, Abe. What say you? This is a really good Texas A&M defense too. Yeah, it, it was. It, now, we talked about it. We we talked about the pressure that they have up front and, and what is not there, unfortunately, on the back end. Uh I was less impressed in this game, to be honest. I thought that Ole Miss had a chance to have complete game control, and they gave it away. They actually uh, gave up the lead uh, late in this game and, and had to come back to retake the lead. Uh, it felt like they were in, in full control, and then they weren't. And and yeah. uh, the, the defense just fell apart for a couple of drives and let AM get to a number in 35 that they had no business being at in terms of that. But look, Ole Miss is kind of like an LSU where their offense is going to score. Um, you have to be prepared for their offense to score, but you could get to them on defense too. Uh, and so that's kind of how this game played itself out. You're right. Jackson Dart, Judkins, Harris. I mean, they've got some guys that can make some plays, uh, but this felt like it should have been like a 38, 14 type of win. Uh, and it just wasn't. I, I would not be feeling good uh, heading into Georgia coming off of this game. Uh, neither of us are overly impressed by the Texas A&M squad. Uh, you mentioned the front four, the front seven. Obviously, yeah. those guys are good but uh, on defense. But outside of that, we're not generally impressed. We, we wondered where the offense had been since Max Johnson took over. Um and I guess they found it against Ole Miss, but uh, I, I thought this was a game that Ole Miss had in hand. And then the next thing I look up, I'm like, oh, they're, they're about to fall behind again. So um, maybe a little sleepwalky uh, through the middle stage of this game, but they did pull it out at the end. Uh, and boy, as you mentioned, when, when they've got their weapons going, they are a dangerous offense. I think um, we've seen that pretty much week in, week out with Ole Miss. They can score. Yeah, and Lane Kivett actually talked about that specific point that you made earlier in, in your comment 
<clears throat> this was they did effectively a ten point swing. Yeah, really a, a fourteen point swing if you think about it. Uh, going into halftime, they had a, a holding penalty to gate a touchdown that would have put them up twenty one to nothing, and and really put a damper on the early going in this game. But a holding penalty negates that. Then you have the blocked field goal that goes for a touchdown, and all of a sudden, instead of twenty one to nothing, and then instead of seventeen to nothing, it's fourteen to seven, and that really was kind of the like what what this game was for both of these teams. It was Ole Miss scores, and then Texas A&M is just sort of hanging around. Ole Miss had too many opportunities to really put this game away, uh, and they just didn't do it. Uh, and this is yeah. a really good Texas A&M team, like you said. They struggle mightily on the road. They're 0-9 in their last nine games on the road. They're 0-4 versus ranked teams. They still could reach eight wins on the season, which uh, – is interesting just in, in and of itself uh, credit to Jimbo Fisher. Uh, not a lot of it, but I mean, he's, he's kind of kept this train on the rails, if you will, uh, because this was very easily could have gone off just based off of how this team is kind of just underperformed at times and then greatly yeah. overperformed at others. And it just doesn't, I don't really understand what the identity of Texas A&M is in at this point. I don't think anybody does, but it looks like they finally got back on track on offense. Max Johnson, like you said, um, help rally them back from a, t- a 10 point deficit in the fourth quarter. He looked pretty good. 305 yards passing. I, I really don't know what Texas A&M is. They're going to go play in a bowl game. I, I guess that's going to be enough uh, unless the wheels just completely fall off. Your guess is as good as mine as to like actually how good this football team is. But if you're Ole Miss, I feel a little better. I think than you do about the rebels chances going into Athens next week. They, I don't like their ability to travel. The offense is, has shown that it's not very effective on the road. And of course, we're going to get into all of this next th- uh, on Thursday when we do our previews, because this is one of only a couple of, of a couple of games, I should say, that are going to be just massive implications on, on the college football playoff race, on the SEC, the Big Ten, you have Michigan and Penn State. And we're going to discuss all of those games right here on college football overtime this Thursday. But Abe, did you have any more thoughts on this Texas a and this game? Yeah, it, it's just really interesting to me that Texas A&M is so boomer bust defensively. It just feels like if they get their pass rush home, they can have success. But if they can't get to the quarterback, then it, it's fair game. You may as well be playing against LSU at that point. Uh, it, it feels like the defense should be better based on what they can do up front, and it just isn't. And I don't have an explanation for that. Yep. You know, I completely understand that. <laughs> I just really don't understand them. But uh, let's move to the Big 12. Texas and Kansas State, a really impressive game. A game that, you know, it felt like Texas had this in hand on on multiple occasions. And uh, Kansas State goes behind big. They only rushed the ball for 43 yards. And that was something that that really felt like it would have been. Like, if you had told me this after the game, I would have told you that Texas beat the brakes off of Kansas State that they really wouldn't have had an opportunity to win this game, much less that it was going to go to overtime. So huge credit to Kansas State for winning outside of really what is in their what their DNA is, which is running the ball effectively. Tracian Ward and DJ Giddens held to 52 total yards on the ground. I mean, that I mean, that's just an incredible performance from the Texas front seven, just in general. So I want to start there. But Malik Murphy, you gotta be better. Two interceptions in this game. 248 yards passing was pretty good, but the mistakes just can't be there. But Jonathan Brooks, dude's a stud. He is a stud. 5.1 yards per carry, 112 total yards, or 112 rushing yards and a touchdown. 
he is a really important cog in this machine on offense, but A.D. Mitchell as well. I mean, like, look, you've got the players, you've got the dudes, but Malik Murphy's got to be better. Yeah, and the, honestly, the way this thing played out, there was a late missed field goal. Kansas State probably could have won this game. Yeah. Uh, and then, obviously, we know once they got to overtime, well, I mean, let, let's break down the decision in overtime. You're, you're fourth and, like, three or four. You've already given up the field goal in overtime. I, I don't understand the mindset behind not kicking and going to a second overtime there. Uh, I, w- I was pretty confused by that. I thought that was the play. Um, they obviously decided to go for it, and and it doesn't work out. Uh, so I don't know what was going on there. Maybe he had lost confidence in his field goal kicker based on the, the miss near the end of regulation, which I thought actually would end the game, the fact that he missed there. But Texas wasn't able to run out the clock entirely. Kansas State gets it back. They then do kick a – uh, a game tying field goal as 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 the clock expired and get to overtime and here we are. But uh, little little questioning uh, of that decision. But mm-hmm. I think you you're you're right. This is a team in Texas that needs Quinn Ewers back. It just they're not going to get the job done with Malik Murphy and and nothing wrong with him. Um, they it look they got through it on this one, but there there is a limit to how good they can be with Malik Murphy, um, and it's a different limit than how good they can be with Quinn Ewers. So, look, they may be able to run the remainder of their schedule, Texas. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not the toughest in the world. You got TCU, Iowa State, Texas Tech. Like, like you should be winning those games, Malik Murphy, or not. But if we get to a Big 12 title game, uh, and who knows uh, the way things are trending, that might be against Oklahoma State at this point. We'll get to that in a moment. But, uh, I mean – this is not a Texas team with Malik Murphy that's going to win anything in the college football playoffs if they even happen to be in position to be uh, one of those four teams. So uh, Quinn Ewers has got to get back for this team to have any of those real aspirations, not necessarily feel that they have them anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but uh, yeah, that, that it, it's just they, – they honestly should have lost this game. It, it, it just – the way I looked at it, and I know you went through some of the stats, and but it, it just felt like a game that we're talking about them winning. It feels like it was a loss, though. Um, and some of that goes back to the missed field goal, the end of the regulation. Some of that goes back to you, you do end up going for it on fourth down there in overtime. You are, you know, a literal yeah. play away <laughs> from winning that game. Um, so some interesting choices being made there, but um, – Certainly not an impressive performance by Texas, whether it's Malik Murphy or not. Yeah, and look, I do want to give credit to Kansas State because this is a good football team, and this is a team that's been a bit of a Texas killer in yeah. recent years. So I, I don't I don't completely agree with you necessarily as far as like this is like a bad win per se. You you beat a team that you should beat, survive in advance. Not every win is created equal. Uh but you know, at the end of the day, like you survive in advance and you do what you got to do. Um, I, I mean, if I'm Texas, I don't care if I win ugly against a team that's been that's notoriously had my number, you know, over recent years, and they've been playing some of their best football as of late. They're a hot football team, and you come in and and really take care of business after blowing a twenty point lead in the in the fourth quarter. Uh, like at the end of the day, like you survive in advance and you live to talk and say another day and. Again, we're going to get into our college football playoff rankings. Maybe this affected where they stand in that in that ranking. I, I may or may not agree with uh, with that if they move around too much. But 
because this is a good Texas team. I think that they showed that they are a step below, like we mentioned, without Quinn Ewers. And is this something where you think we could see Arch Manning? I don't necessarily think we will, uh, but we're coming up to the end of the season. It's not like he would blow a red shirt if he comes out there, but these are important football games and, and Texas can't really afford to drop a game. It's an interesting question. I think if we were going to see him, we would have already. Um, now, I, I do agree with you. There's some situations, depending on game score and scenario, TCU, Iowa State are road games. Texas Tech yeah. is your only home game uh, remaining. So, I, I, I mean, there is potential if you get to a, a certain point mm-hmm. of the game where you're comfortable, but I don't think you're going to see Malik Murphy replaced, if that's what you're asking. No, and I don't think that we're actually going to see that, yeah. really. Down the stretch, of, like you mentioned, at TCU on the 11th, at Iowa State on the 18th, those are difficult. Don't don't sleep on those two games. Iowa State was right there. They were right there 4-2 in conference. Uh, don't let that 5-4 and four record fool you. They've been pretty good in the Big 12 this year. And then you finish the, ro- the season at home against Texas Tech. Uh, the Red Raiders are a, a good football team. So, look. You have good teams down the stretch. Down the stretch, these are not teams that should be giving Texas too much trouble. Uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, I fully expect Texas to remain undefeated throughout the rest of their slate and just finish with the one loss against Oklahoma, uh, who we're going to get to here in just a second. And a team that I am fully expecting them to be playing in the Big Twelve title game, especially based off of the performance on Saturday in the final edition of Bedlam. The Oklahoma State Cowboys, man, I, I have to just give full credit to, to Gundy and these guys. And, and, and look, go Pokes, baby. I mean, this is a team that has dominated you. The, the people in Oklahoma, uh, I mean, we talked to the, the play-by-play voice of the Oklahoma State Cowboys on Saturday. And, and look, he mentioned it. Like, this game means a whole hell of a lot to the people in Stillwater. I mean, this is this is big brother that, you're, that was coming into town likely for the final time as just a a regularly scheduled opponent, they've dominated you. They've dominated you over the last 100 years, but you get the last laugh. Ollie Gordon is just a freak of nature, and if he's not invited to New York City based off of the performances that he has had over the last couple of weeks, then that is just a a, a travesty and a a shame to the sport of college football. He, He rushes for 137 yards and two touchdowns in this game. He was honestly the biggest reason why they won this game not necessarily based off of what he did on the stat sheet per se. It's what his influence had on this football game. 137 yards is a great day by most standards, but this is also a guy who had 247 two weeks ago. He's a guy who had 850 total yards coming into this game just his last three games. No, it was what he did to the Oklahoma front. They all stuck all the way up to the front. And then quarterback Alan Bowman is able to just pick him apart on the back end, single coverage. He passes for 334 yards in this game. Rashad Owens has 10 receptions, 136 yards. And Brennan Presley, eight catches, 97 yards. Those are his two favorite targets in this game. 334 yards from the quarterback. It was not something that I was fully expecting to see. But then again, not a lot of people were expecting a 27-24 Oklahoma State victory. But go Pokes, man. They're right there on top of the Big 12. They are 5-1 and one in the conference, and they are riding high as uh, they, they look to finish out the season. And it's a similar script to what we've seen, unfortunately, for the Sooners in recent weeks, both in wins and in yep. losses. And that's the turnovers. Uh, he Dylan Gabriel throws an interception. He fumbled the ball twice. They had a couple other fumbles. They lost two of those. They lost the turnover battle. 
And this is the one thing I've been talking to you about for two weeks now is this was a team that it was among the league, uh, the, the late leaders in the country mm-hmm. uh, in plus turnover margin. And, and in their recent losses, uh, it has come back to bite them. And, and that is, they're just not good enough to overcome that. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, it, it was working for them early in the season. It, it obviously helped them bite Texas uh, the turnover specifically, but yeah. um, the last two weeks, they, it has not been there for them. I will tell you this, and and you're right to pinpoint on Ollie Gordon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did take him 33 carries, so a lot of touches <laughs> there. He did yeah. happen to throw the uh, only interception for Oklahoma State as well. Uh, interesting play call there. But I, I want to go to Oklahoma and just give a little bit of props, even in the loss. Um Drake Stoops is a guy that is probably an easy target for a lot of people because of the last name Stoops. Uh, But that guy's just a heck of a football player, man. He's super fun to watch. Um, And and I just respect the heck out of of what he is doing and and, and his game. Um, When you watch him play, just a lot of physical toughness, man. He's searching out contact, uh, but he's got good hands and good route running and, and all that stuff. So, uh, Drake Stoops is is probably a, a receiver. Maybe not everyone respects and gives credence to, but um, boy, he's he's a really good football player. But uh, you're right, Ollie Gordon leads the way here, yeah. and it, it's look, it wasn't the 200 some odd yards it's been two of the other three weeks, but it was more than enough. It was about, as you mentioned, game control. Uh, yeah. That that's what this was about, and it was also about, also as you mentioned what it allowed Alan Bowman to do within the offense. Uh, this is a very impressive Oklahoma State team. And again, it, we, we talked about it before the game. It's so easy to overlook them because of their losses and how things played out early in the season. But this is a team that has, and and we'll talk about it throughout the show, uh, throughout moving forward on Thursday as well. There are a lot of teams that don't have their identity still. Mm-hmm. And we are two-thirds or three-fourths of the way through the college football season. It is safe to say mm-hmm. one of the teams that knows who it is is Oklahoma State. They know their identity. They know what they want to do on both sides of the ball. And that's what allows them to play the way they have. And, and so, you know, Mike Gundy in his 19th year um, gets it done one final time there uh, against the Sooners in Bedlam. So congrats to him. This was an outstanding performance for a team. Um, that had been buried, and uh, yeah. I would say no longer. Yeah, especially. I mean, just just look at what this team was uh, w- was discussed as. I mean, people were calling for Mike Gundy's head after yeah. they lose thirty three to seven against South Alabama. I don't know. I, how I mean, that it was happens. just that was just probably still to this day is, is one of the most inexplicable results of the college football season this year. But I mean, full credit to Mike Gundy. This is a team that that I mean, his squad. Lost two, only won two of the his first sixteen games against Oklahoma in Bedlam, and has now won two of the final three against the Sooners. But I will say though, this Oklahoma team, the writing has kind of been on the wall for them. I know you blame the the, the turnovers in particular, but each of the Sooners' past four games have been decided by five points or fewer. Uh, of course, they won the first two against Texas and Central Florida, but then they lost the last two. They lost to Kansas in a game that likely derailed their season. And then now against Oklahoma State, which has just completely knocked it off. Um, and they'll be, they'll look to recover. I mean, they can still go and, and, and 
play for something down the stretch. I mean, like you can go still go play in a New Year's Six Bowl. You can still go do something else like that and, and still have a pretty successful season. But it's not going to be the successful season that Brent Venables was hoping for, uh, potentially playing for a college football playoff or a Big Ten, a Big 12 title. That looks like it's about out the door because you might have the tiebreaker against Texas. That's really your only hope at this point is that Texas falters at some point down the stretch because now you've lost the tiebreaker to Oklahoma State. And their final stretch, let me look at it. It's at UCF, at Houston, and then Brigham Young comes to town for the final game of the season. And I don't see them dropping a single one of those games. They shouldn't. Crazier things have happened in college football, but Oklahoma State is playing some of its best football when it matters most. And that's a that's a full credit to Mike Gundy and that coaching staff over there in Stillwater, Oklahoma. But I do want to move on. Oh, actually, last thing I will say, there was a five-way tie in the Big 12 last week going into the week. Now it's just two. It's Texas and Oklahoma State. That's what it's looking like. It's, it's about going to be finished that way. So we'll see what happens there. So it looks like we're starting to figure out who we're going to have playing at the very top. Uh, one that I that is still turning its way through is the ACC. It's looking like it's going to be Louisville and Florida State. But one team that is still alive, the Clemson Tigers. It's a little strange. I, I don't really know what to make of them, but they came into Saturday and full credit to them. I, I blasted Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers on this very podcast on Thursday. Um, and I'm going to give, I'm going to bring them their flowers. Look, they, they earned this game. They played with a chip on their shoulder and leaned. Probably leaned is probably not even a, a, a big enough word for what they did with Phil Maffa. He carried the ball 36 times for 186 yards and two touchdowns. Not super terribly efficient, considering he had 36 rushing attempts. Uh, Kate Klubnik only completed 13 passes. It's not pretty, but I think they know that they can't lean on Kate Klubnik anymore. This is just not the guy who they expected him to be uh, for the Clemson offense, but they, got again, got a little lucky. Kate Klubnik throws the interception in this one. Uh, they do have a pick six on Sam Hartman, one of the two interceptions that they had on Sam Hartman. Uh, but they fumbled the ball three times. Don't don't forget that fact. They fumbled it three times in this game. The, the fumbling woes have just killed them this year. They only lost one of them. So it didn't really come at, come back and bite them and cost them in the end. But they get the win against Notre Dame, 31-23, to a game that at the beginning of the season, a lot of people had their eyeballs on this one and circled it in bright red Sharpie and said that that's going to be a huge game. That's going to be a college football playoff ramification type of game. And, not really. <laughs> Notre Dame has its third loss of the season. Clemson avoids its fifth loss of the season, which would have just been an incredible performance or just an incredible result for that. But Clemson, they keep their season alive with a 31-23 win over Notre Dame. Yeah, it's, it's been an, a wild season for Clemson. Uh, safe to say that. Uh, you know, going back a couple weeks, I thought they played well enough to beat Florida State. Obviously, the one big play switched things for them, and their season's been uh, kind of wild since then, and and this feels like maybe a little bit of restabilizing for them. They, they look, the frustrating thing is this Clemson team has always been there. They have an outstanding secondary, a pretty good defense yeah. overall. It, it, they can play tough, and just some days it just they just don't seem to show up, uh, whether Dabo wants them to or not. And 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 <clears> in this situation. They did, and a lot of people have been counting them out. Uh, you know, obviously, a lot of uh, laser focus has been towards Dabo, 
um, and, and some of the comments that he's made, but uh, obviously they're still in this and they're, they're still a very tough out. Um, you know, Florida state tried to clinch their way into the ACC title game. As you mentioned, we'll see who they'll uh, be opposed by. It'll get settled in the next week or two, but um, this is a Clemson team that on a good day can still beat yeah. most teams in the country. I think that is what they showed for everyone who wanted to, I'm not suggesting you, but there were a lot of people who did want to bury Dabo Sweetie. I, I think this is just a reminder of a, a program that reached the heights that Clemson reached, even when it's struggling, still isn't that far away from what they were. They, it, it, mm-hmm. And I'm not suggesting that they can recover and win a national championship this year. But what I am saying is, look, they still got some top talent. The guy didn't forget how to coach overnight. There are issues with the quarterback. There are issues with the coordinators. Like, there's no denying that this is not the same team. But they're also not as far removed as a lot of people want them to be. That's all this game did was serve as a reminder. This is not a team that's going to go winless over its last four games. It's not a team that's going to miss a bowl. Like, let's calm all that talk down. Um, Now, they still have a long ways to go to get back to where they were, to get back to where Georgia is or Alabama or Washington, whoever you want to throw in there. But um, just a reminder that this team is still pretty good on the right day. Yeah, and look, at the end of the day, like this is a Clemson team that can beat anybody. I mean, if they play their best football, they're a tough team to beat, just period, end of story. I mean, you play that game against Florida State at home in Death Valley 10 times out of 10. Uh, or ten, not, it's not 10 times out of 10 that Florida State wins that game. Um, <clears throat> Florida State didn't play their best game when they played Clemson, but it was still good enough to win. But this Clemson team can still give anybody a great game at any given time. They opened as a an 18-point favor against Georgia Tech, a team that we're going to get into here in just a second because they had an incredible effort against Virginia. But Clemson's not buried. They're not done yet. They're not invulnerable. And I, it's hard to really get a full feel of what Notre, or excuse me, what Notre Dame is just in general. Um, the, the Jekyll and Hyde season has continued for the fighting Irish. They, I, I, I really, I'm a little frustrated with, with this team in particular because they really appeared to have turned a corner Two dominating wins. You have the game against USC, which seemed like a, just a program defining win uh, for this coaching staff that you beat them by 28 points. And then you beat Pitt by 51, you know? I mean, I thought that this team had, had, had finally figured something out. The offense looked effective. Audrey Kestame, Sam Hartman, and everybody else. The defense looked tough, looked physical, and it, it looked like it was actually winning at the point of attack. I thought that that set them up really nicely for this game because they were playing some of their best football. And I was like, all right, well, let's see if this can continue against another really tough opponent. No. It was just not the case, and and I think it all comes down to Sam Hartman. He throws the two interceptions in this game. They do have the fumble lost. Um, he was sub-50% completion percentage. That's just unacceptable. I mean, he had 146 yards passing. That's unacceptable. This team's he's got to be better, you know, and, and we really expected them to be – Audrey Kestamay to take a big frontal role, front, front row center role at, in this game. He was one of the biggest reasons why they trailed 24-9 at halftime. Uh, they had to settle for three first half field goals. Audrey Estime needs to be, if he's playing his best football, he's scoring there. And like you need more from your, from your, your offense in those situations. 
you cannot only come away with nine points on those possessions on a in a road environment against a team that's basically in desperation mode, trying to save its season and rally for its head coach, a team that clearly still believes in Dabo Sweeney and, and what this program has to offer. Uh, you need to score in the red zone, and they just didn't get that done. Yeah, it was interesting to see. Uh, you've got a Clemson team that ran the ball 43 times, just 31 carries for Notre Dame. An estimate had 17 of them. He had averaged 5.1 yards per carry. It felt like it should have been a bigger part of the game. I agree yeah. with you. And, and instead of Hartman chucking the ball all over the place <laughs> 30 times and, and having, like you said, less than 50% completion, feels like the run game should have been a bigger part of this one, and it simply wasn't. Uh, and even more so when you look at what Clemson can do on the back end, their defensive backfield is just that good. Um, so it, it was an interesting uh, game plan, I guess. It, it, the, the stats say they should have ran the ball more, but they didn't. So I don't know what was going on there. I, I agree with you. It's frustrating for Notre Dame. It felt like after that Louisville game, you had kind of recovered and it felt like 10 yeah. and two seemed likely. Um, obviously you got to play the rest of the way out, but you know, maybe it's nine and three, which isn't terrible, but, uh, you're going to be frustrating not to hit double digits on that win total in the regular season. Yeah. It was a frustrating end, end of the season in the second half of the season for, for Notre Dame. That was, that seemed like it was, they figured something out, uh, just specifically on offense. They looked like they were kind of rolling and, uh, I kind of expected more from them in this game. They kind of looked hapless at times. Granted, they did have a great comeback. And, and they nearly pulled off uh, a pretty exciting comeback at that. But I do want to move into another team, Georgia Tech. Um, they had a really impressive game. Uh, I actually thought that Virginia was going to be a team that was going to give them a lot of problems. Um, and this is, of course, the next team that Clemson's got to face. This is a team that is also looking to fight for bowl eligibility. They have identical five and four records, not identical in the actual uh, ECC standings, if you will. One's two and four. One is four and two. One has a chance to go play for an ACC title game. Believe it or not, you need a little bit of help, and obviously I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but mathematically, they are not eliminated yet, and a lot of that has to do with quarterback Haynes King. He has another incredible day. The rushing attack has another incredible day. They run for over 300 yards in this one, and Haynes King in particular throws the ball to 10 different receivers, and he also does it with his legs too. I mean, when he is playing at his best, and he's not turning the football over and throwing interceptions and and making bad decisions with the football, which albeit is not very often, this Georgia Tech offense is among the best in the ACC, and, and that goes goes right in hand with with the ACE, the uh, the UNCs, the Florida States. When they're at their best, they have shown fully capable of jumping on opponents, just like they did against UVA, a, a, a UVA team. Which, mind you, don't let that record fool you. They are a much better team than that their records might indicate. They they just beat North Carolina. They went wire to wire with Miami and just barely faltered in that game. But Georgia Tech comes up to Charlottesville and punches them in the mouth. Yeah, real impressive performance mm. uh, offensively from this Tech squad. And, and and you mentioned Haynes King. Out of 30 passes thrown, just the seven incompletions. I mean, it's an outstanding uh, efficiency number for him. And obviously, as you mentioned, seven uh, rushes, two of those for touchdowns from King. Five rushing touchdowns overall for that squad, 300 yards. I, I mean, they just got it done at every aspect of what you want them to do offensively. There's no doubt about it. And look, they get a turnover on defense. They hold uh, Virginia under 20 points. I mean, that that's a great recipe for that tech program to win a lot of games. And that's what we saw. I was, I was shocked to be honest. 
Yeah. Um, it was competitive early. Virginia gets the first score. They go right down the field, and you're like, all right, what are we working with here? Um, and Georgia Tech just mollywhopped them the rest of the way, really separated and pulled away in this game. And, and uh, you know, 21 points in that third quarter, uh, leading to a, a very comfortable second half for Georgia Tech. Um, just very, very impressed by what they were able to do in this one. A, a game that a lot of people thought would be competitive, thought would be close. And yeah. for whatever reason, you, you go figure it out, just Georgia Tech on the road. Um, just they, they're very good on the road. I don't know why, but uh, they are, and they showed it on Saturday. This was this was impressive. Uh, I, I don't know if eye opening is the right term because there, there's still a limit to what this program is right now. Yeah. Um, but that was an impressive showing, uh, to, to beat a team that you're probably pretty close to competitive wise. Um, to handle business like that, that's a good look. Yeah, and of course, Tony Musket goes down in the first quarter of this game after the first drive, which looked very impressive. The starting quarterback for Virginia, that is. Um, he looked very good to start, but the UVA team just sort of fell apart after that fact. And The thing that I was most encouraged about with Georgia Tech in particular was the fact that they scored 21 points in the second quarter. They've done that a few times this year, actually. Mm -hmm. they, they ride yeah. big quarters and then just fall asleep and, and do nothing else for the rest of the game. They kind of go limp. They did that specifically against Louisville in the first week of the season. They scored 28 points in the first quarter and the second quarter rather, and then nothing for the rest of the game ended up losing it. Uh, that was not the case on Saturday. They scored 21 points and then they matched that in the second half and scored an additional 21 points. They were efficient and balanced on offense, on defense. They were most, they were very effective. They did something I think on Saturday that they, uh, we haven't seen from them all season and that's tackle effectively in space. Uh, that was really what Virginia does very well is that they have the ability to turn short plays into long plays. And they did that against North Carolina and they would just sustain drives Georgia tech for the first time all season, we saw them get Virginia off the field. And I think that's going to be a really major key for them coming up on Saturday as they go down to death Valley and take on Clemson. They are, they open as an 18 point underdog, I believe in that game. And that's going to be a really important game for both of these teams. Georgia tech looking to become bowl eligible for the first time since 2018. Clemson looking to also be bowl eligible and keep that long streak of bowl eligibility alive uh, as they look to salvage what's left of the season that they can for the Tigers. Uh, that's going to be an interesting game, and, and we might get into that one here just a little bit. Brent Key, 6-1 and one as a road underdog in the ACC. Very interesting contest there. But I want to swing it out west uh, because we had the defenseless bowl. It was Washington and USC, a game where we've already seen some ramifications for uh, the lack of defense, if you will, if you will, Alex Grinch, after allowing 101 yards or 101 points, he wishes it was 101 yards, 101 points in his last two games, at least 32 points in nine of his last 10. The Grinch doesn't even make it to Christmas, man. He gets fired. USC is now defensive coordinator less. I think they actually hired their, they elevated their linebackers coach or whatever, but he's no longer with the program. Uh, 52 points to Washington, I guess in a vacuum is not the craziest of results, but it's also on the heels of allowing 49 points to, uh, to Cal last week. It's, it's, it's allowing teams to get right against you. And that's really what teams have done very effectively throughout this season. We looked at Utah in particular, Utah is not a team that's particularly adept on the offensive side of the ball. They score 38 points. I believe that was their final score in that game. They 
beat you in a game that they really should not have had any business beating you in. They, they don't have their starting quarterback. Cam Rising's not playing. And in a game that Cam Rising's not playing, they shouldn't be scoring 38 points. And that said, they did just score 55 points on Arizona State. But, of course, that's Arizona State. And you're USC, and you were a college football playoff contender. You were somebody who should have been playing for a Pac-12 title. And your defense has just been indefensible. It has been doing the opposite. And, and Dylan Johnson, I, I want to give him some flowers here. All of the eyes were on Michael Penix, the quarterback. He does have a pretty good game, 256 yards and two tutties for the, the quarterback. But Dylan Johnson at 100 yards rushing in the first half, Abe. In the first half, 100 yards rushing. Incredible game. It was his first 100-yard effort of his entire career. He finishes the day with 256 yards and four touchdowns. Abe, did it, it looked like to me the Washington offense got back on track. Yeah, a little bit. I'd still be a little disappointed that the defense isn't able to handle USC a little bit more mm. because I do think Washington is going to need a couple of defensive efforts uh, if they're going to continue and win uh, the Pac-12 title and yeah. into the playoffs. They're going to need uh, to ramp that up because the other teams that are in this discussion, they can all play a little bit of defense as well. So, uh, but yeah, you you nailed it right on the head. I, I mean, all eyes are on Michael Penix. You, you're you're waiting to see. You know, it's a bad defense you're facing. You're waiting to see is this the game where the Heisman numbers just jump off the page and and just as you said, they get stolen by Dylan Johnson, two hundred fifty six and four. Uh, he was the story of the game offensively uh, in this one. Uh, he he was undoubtedly the star of the day for Washington. And uh, look, th th this was kind of like Georgia. It's a USC team that is good. They're dangerous. They're, they're obviously not what people thought maybe they could be this year or whatever. Yeah. Um, and same, same with Missouri. Missouri is a good team, but they're not winning national championship right now either. Georgia gets a comfortable 10 point win. Uh, Washington gets a comfortable 10 point win. Um, or I guess Georgia was nine, but you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah. and, and, and it just kind of felt that way. It felt like a comfortable victory. Um, uh, but this was a very good game that was decided in the fourth quarter. There's no doubt about that. Um, I, I'm still unsettled a little bit. I, I would personally like my potential national champion to give a little bit more on, on the defensive side of the ball. And you do have to wonder if that ultimately is what, fells washington down the yeah. road um look they can score we we, we know that there, there's no surprise there but um it's going to be tough to just outscore everyone on your schedule uh especially when you get into the playoffs you're gonna have to play and get some stops uh and they really didn't do that and uh, you know i have no idea who's winning the heisman um but it, it, in my opinion Penix really didn't take a a, a step forward in, in regards to this game so uh, that thing's back up for grabs. Jaden Daniels looked great, but they lost. Uh, he was knocked out. Mm -hmm. We'll have to wait and see on his availability for next week. That If he was in the discussion, mm -hmm. uh, Ollie Gordon. I, I mean, it, it, it's a wild discussion, but I did think this was a chance Penix could maybe throw six or seven touchdowns. Now, they got six or seven as a team, uh, but they weren't all through his arm. They were through, as you mentioned, Dylan Johnson uh, and the ground game. So, it was an impressive win. Uh, anytime you go onto the road to a top 25 team, I think you'll take that victory. Mm -hmm. um, but I still think they have a lot of work to do there uh, if they're going to ride that offense to a national championship.
Yeah, and this is a Pac-12 conference that just four weeks ago, they boasted the number seven, the number eight, the number 10, the number 15, the number 16, the number 18, and the number 19 team in the AP poll. We were a little, frankly, for a good reason, concerned that a team wasn't going to be able to run the gauntlet that is the Mm Pac-12 this year, which is, as far as depth goes, by far the best conference in college football right now. And they've struggled to put away their last three opponents. Of course, we saw the Arizona State game. I, that it's still sort of an inexplicable result to me. It just felt like a team that was sleepwalking after a huge win against Oregon, but they've struggled to put away three straight opponents. And they, of course, with USC, I mean, I, I understand why that's a really high powered, high octane offense that you faced over there with Caleb Williams, the reigning Heisman trophy winner, because for as much, how many issues that the, uh, the defense has, the offense is just as electric. Um, but now they have, Utah there they have to go on the road to Oregon State and then they finish with Wazoo and and it's going to take a a, a, I don't want to call it a Herculean effort but it's going to take a pretty big effort from this team to to just continue playing good football and do it week in week out because there are no weeks off if you're Washington Uh, this that's a very tough end of your season stretch if you will I mean that's gonna be tough it's gonna be really tough especially with the, the road game at Oregon State um, a team that I think is looking to salvage a bit of its season right there. It's still it's number 16 in the country, um, and we'll see where they come in with the, the next college football playoff rankings, but that's a good football team, and Utah is Utah. I mean, the offense looked electric for the first time really all season. I don't even count that USC game, but um, it's going to take a, it's gonna take a lot of big work from Washington to finish the season undefeated, and then you really don't have a lot of room for error because the Pac-12 is tight at the top and Oregon is right there. And I know we're going to discuss Oregon here in just a second, but they just had a massive win over Cal 63 to 19. They showed no mercy to the, uh, to Cal there. I mean, that, that was just an incredible game for them, but, and it looked like they're clicking on all cylinders, but you know what, actually now, now that we're doing that, I do want to stay right. Did you have any more thoughts on, on this game? Washington USC just, well, yeah, and just, just to reiterate, my stance on Washington, you look at the the teams above them in the rankings, Ohio state, Georgia, Michigan, and Florida state, all four of those teams can win the game on both sides of the ball. They can beat you up on defense. They can outscore you on offense, all four of those teams. And and just right now, I just don't feel the way uh, about Washington as I do those four. I I just have got to see a better defensive effort at some point. If I'm to believe that they can one, win a rematch with Oregon, yeah. Uh, potential, and then also get through that. So I, I just got to see it on defense a little bit better than they have shown. 